want to welcome you again for Christmas. Uh, I've got kind of a special message for you. Uh, I'm still in our Again series, but just kind of a, a Christmas-centered message that's just been on my heart this week. And I'll tell you why. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually it's been three weeks now, one of the teachers in the academy, uh, our second grade teacher, Miss Parker, just an awesome, awesome teacher back there, she invited me to come talk to her students in the second grade. Some of you don't know we have a school back there, all right? Some of you, you've just seen the cones and you, you're like, why do people leave cones in the parking lot? because we have a school in the back, all right? everybody. Uh, An awesome, awesome academy from K-4 through 8th grade. A few hundred kids. Just an awesome, awesome school back there. Uh, But the second grade teacher, a lot of our pastors are involved in the chapels and just the spiritual life of the school as well. Uh, She invited me to come and speak to the second grade class because they had questions. Come on, somebody just a little scared about that because I've got a second grade age child, right? I just got a little bit scared. They've got questions for me about the Bible and about Christmas. Uh, And so they wrote these down. And let me just tell you this. They ask better questions than you do. All right, everybody. They just they they ask better biblical questions. They ask better life questions. They just have a better perspective. I don't want to offend you this morning, but they're just they're just better than you are. All right, everybody. But those man, just the second graders, seven and eight year olds back there, just an awesome uh, awesome time. And so I went about eight o'clock in the morning. How many want to answer questions at eight in the morning? And so we had an awesome time together, uh, and she had prepared them in a shoebox, and so I would just pull them out, uh, and then we would, you know, whoever had asked the question would kind of raise their hand, and we'd, we'd answer that. And so what I did was, I wrote down some of their questions, and I brought them for you, all right, everybody? Some of the Christmas ones, and they had questions all over the Bible, but I wrote down some of the Christmas ones, because it's Christmas Sunday. Come on, somebody. So we're going to start these off. Let's start off with the first one out of the box. How did Mary have Jesus without a doctor? Come on, somebody. <laughs> And I said, all right, see you all later. I'm going home. <laughs> How did... And so we, we had a very, uh, very productive talk. And so that was that. Joseph was very involved. All right, everybody. Why did Mary not tell the innkeeper she had the Messiah in her belly? This is a good question. All right. I don't... Like, why did... I asked this question. Why did she not let him... Let, him, like, let me in. Come on, somebody. When we had our third child, Hava, uh, we went to Ashna over here on O'Neill. It's been about three years ago. Uh, and we went in and we we're all ready because, you know, we had our other kids. We we're ready to have this great time. And we went up to the window and my wife said, all right, you know, I'm in, in labor and we're ready. And they said, sorry, we don't have any room. And my wife, the sweetest lady that she is, she was like, oh, that's OK. I'm like, that's not OK. All right. We're going to have you're going to find. Some. And we waited for an hour and a half. Come on, somebody for them to find a little rollaway bed. And we it was a great time. I don't know. But I, I felt a little kinship there. With Joseph. But why didn't she tell him? All right, next one. Why do people want to go to the devil's place? That, I was like, that's a good question. I don't know. Why do people want to? I, I'm asking the same thing as a pastor. Here we go. Did the sheep come with the shepherds to see Jesus or did they leave them unattended? <laughs> you people think you know all the answers, all right, until you go to a second grade classroom and they ask you something. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. All right. If I don't know, I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm not going to make something. Come on, somebody. They got questions you guys don't even have of. And then we were kind of ending up this day. And I said, all right, one more question. We just had kind of free question time. Just ask whatever you want. They asked some good ones. They asked some deep spiritual ones. And I was like, all right, one more. We're going to end the day. And a little girl in the back raised her hand. And I said, all right, last question of the day. And she came up. Do you believe in Santa Claus? And I said, that's all the time we have for today, all right, everybody? We're just, <laughs> go ask your mama. I don't, you know, just, I just have to look at the time. I think I left the oven on. I just did. But there was one question throughout the day 
that one of the boys asked, and this was actually Val's question. Uh, Val's in our kids' zone as well. He asked this question, where did the wise men come from and what route did they take? Where did they come from? What route did they take? And I thought that was a great question because we talk about them all the time. Come on, so we talk about you got your nativity scene. We'll get, you know, buckled in, everybody. I'm about to wreck your nativity scene today, okay? That's what we're going to we're gonna do because I thought for Christmas we could just wreck. Everybody, you've got one of those little nativity scenes we pull out at Christmas, right? And we got Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the manger. And we, we look at that, right? And then we got the shepherds and they may or not have sheep with them right on the side, of your nativity. I don't know what your nativity looks like at home. Ours had R2-D2 in it this year. I don't know if that's, that's you guys, all right? We just, we had a little special visitor this year. Some of you got Baby Yoda creeping up on the nativity scene. I don't know. I don't know what yours looks like at home or maybe a play school set. But then we've got these wise men, right? We usually have three little wise men on three little camels off to the side. Well, I just want to burst your bubble today, everybody, because they mess up the whole scene because they were never there. All right. They were never there. If you read your Bible, they got their directions crossed, right? They got a little little mixed up on the way. And so they didn't show up till two years late to the party. Uh, that they finally showed up to Bethlehem. So we got to go home, right, and throw away the whole nativity scene, all right? You just got to go back. Well, you don't have to actually do that. But I want to talk a little bit about the wise men today. I just want to want to talk a little bit about the nativity story, and then we're going to light some candles, sing a little song, and have an awesome, awesome Christmas service together. Because the wise men show up a couple of years late, but on an incredible spiritual journey 2,000 years ago. And honestly, I think it's similar to the same spiritual journey that we are on as Christians. I think it's similar to the same journey that we are on as Christians ourselves 2,000 years later. There's a lot of parallels that I want to draw between the stories. So let me just tell you a little bit about them because I looked it up because of Val's question this week. I studied it a little bit more. Uh, and I'm actually a history major by, uh, I guess, by history. And so that's actually kind of one of my passions in life. And so I want to just kind of bring that aspect to it this morning. Uh, as we talk about this, then we light some candles. The Bible calls them the Magi, and that's important. Uh, you'll realize that in just a few moments because they were part of the ruling upper class uh, in that day of the rival superpower to Rome. So they were part of the ruling and spiritual upper class of their, of their empire. And so the Parthian Empire, the rivals to Rome of the time, the superpowers, when they would conquer an area, these magi or these kingmakers would then decide who would be the king of that region, who would be appointed over that. So they were the kingmakers. They were the spiritual leaders. They were a cross between astronomers and astrologers. And I'll show you why that's important uh, in just a moment. So it's significant because they are the leader of this. And so as the Parthian leaders or the superpowers, the kingmakers, they're on a search for the Christ child. They're on a search. They're the star worshipers. They've seen this sign on this, this heavens that they worship and these stars. And now they're on a search for the Christ child. And as we follow their journey, there's three characteristics about it that are common to us. And it always begins, jot it down if you're taking notes today, with a longing inside of you. It always begins with a longing inside of you. When you're on a search, just like these wise men were, when you're on a search, it always begins with looking for something that you're longing for. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to pick up the story if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles to verse 1, Matthew chapter 2. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, after king of time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now this would have been a slight to Herod because he was not born king of the Jews. He was installed by the Romans about 30 years before when they laid siege to Jerusalem. And so they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So they're on a search to worship the Christ child. They're on a search to find him and to worship. They're looking for Jesus. And I want to focus for just a moment on this word worship. Because our Bibles, the New Testament was written in Greek. I don't know if you know this, and they translated it to English. And Greek is a very deep language. It has a lot of meaning behind each word. English is kind of a shallow language. I don't want to hurt your feelings today, but it just is, all right? And so when we translate from, from Greek to English, uh, we lose a lot of context often to the words. We lose a lot of the context behind the text. And so that word in the Greek is proskuneo, that word worship. And the idea behind this word is to adore or to worship, to give your passion to. It's this deep word of adoration, this proskuneo, this word to worship. And they said, we've come to find the king that we can worship him. We've come to find the king that we can give him our adoration. We can give our passion. We can give everything that we have. We want to worship the king born of the Jews. And this Greek word, I was trying to think of a word picture for it uh, to kind of get, just to illustrate on this Christmas of what this is. And the word picture I landed on for this Greek word proskuneo is the way a dog views you when you've been gone for a while. All right. When you return home, anybody have dogs here? Anybody? Come on, somebody. This Christmas. When you return home and they haven't seen you for a minute, it's the way that they treat you. Right. They love you and they can't believe that you could leave them and they love you so much. And they just even if they've never met you, they love you. Right. They just they just love you with this this love inside of them and they just want to jump on you. And they just want to do it. Even if they've never they just I can't believe that you would leave me. I can't believe that you're back. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's how a dog treats you. Now, cats. (laughs) Cats are like you were gone like you were. When, when, when were you gone? You were gone all day? Did I, did I give you permission to be gone all day? Did I, did I give that to you? No, that's not the point, everybody. Right? It's Christmas. No more hating on cat people. I promise. All right? That's, that's not my, that's not my point, everybody. But dogs, dogs love you. They want to, they just, they can't help but just be close to you. And they just want to jump on you. They just want to wiggle themselves up against you. And so my question for you this Christmas, you can jot it down, is what are you wiggling against trying to get it to love you back? No, that's not actually my question, all right? The more appropriate, you can jot it down if you're taking notes, is what do you give your affection to in hopes of it satisfying you? What do you worship? Because proskuneo, that's what it means, this this all-encompassing passion and worship and love. And too often, all of us give it to the wrong things. I, I don't know about you, but I am confident that every single person in this room is worshiping something. Every person in this room is worshiping. We're in search of something to worship. All of us want to connect with something bigger than ourselves. We're on a journey to worship something. And unfortunately, all the things that we find, all the things that we try to substitute in that place, they come up short. And if you've ever been on a journey or you've ever tried to put something in that place of worship in your life, you've realized that eventually everything comes up short. Everything comes up short. You search after finances or success or a relationship or a car or a house you want to buy. All of these things, none of them fulfill and they fall short. In fact, in this life, no matter how good it gets, no matter how good the thing that we want, no matter how often we get it, it still fails us. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than in social media. Come on, somebody. Nowhere is this seen more clearly in this idea that we have, because in social media, we put ourselves out there because we want affirmation. And we want, we want affirmation, we want likes, right? Give me the double taps. We put all these things, and nowhere in social media is the culmination of this scene more often than in the selfie. Come on, somebody. Y'all know, 
Y'all pretend like you don't know what a selfie is. Y'all know what selfies are. So I thought I would arrange a few stats for you guys because nowhere else do we put ourselves more out for validation or confirmation or love or affection than in the selfie. Where we take a picture of ourselves and we put it, we say, love me. Right. Like my photo, we try to get all the angles and we look up all the best practices for our camera and all those things. Come on. I'm going to don't want to hurt your feelings. I got some some stats for you guys that I thought on the selfie because it's Christmas morning. All right. Ninety three million selfies taken every single day in America. Come on, somebody. Ninety three million with four point two billion likes per day. That's a lot of likes. It's a lot of like, but sadly, we're so obsessed with it. 4% in a recent survey admitted to taking a selfie while driving their vehicle, everybody. That's a problem. I mean, no, that's a crisis in our culture, all right? You guys are bad enough drivers without your phones out. Selfies by driving our thing. And because of this, because we have this problem, dangerously taking pictures of ourselves, you are five times more likely to die while taking a selfie than by shark attack. There's a problem in our culture, everybody. How I many know that's a problem? That's a problem in our, so we need selfie week, all right? We just need, I'd like shark week, but we need selfie week. I'd watch that. I don't know. We'll just leave that right there, all right, everybody. But we see the reality in our, in our media. We see it in our culture. We see it in our lives. We see this reality that we're all searching after something, some kind of affirmation. We're searching after some kind of affection, and we pursue these things with great passion in our life, only to find them come up short because there's still a longing inside of us. And I'll show you why in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Why? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So he's making us, he's creating, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it became a living being. That breath of life, that phrase right there is actually the breath of God. It's the life of God that he breathes inside. And so all of us are on a journey to reconnect with that life. All of us are on a journey to worship something. We're all seeking something bigger than ourselves. The Bible says he put eternity into the hearts of men. That God has breathed that into our life, but most people don't realize it. And so they'll go from one hobby to the next, one relationship to the next, one one goal or one thing to the next, one success to the next. And they're always coming up empty. Because we were created to worship, but most people don't understand it. And so we're driven to life through life from one thing to the next. Because there will always be a longing inside of you. The second thing we see from the wise men in the journey is there will always be a Herod to fight you. There will always be a longing inside of you. There will always be a Herod to fight. In verse 3, we'll continue in the story. It says that Herod heard this, that the Magi had come. Where is the king born of the Jews? He was disturbed. And I love this little phrase, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, if we go back to our little nativity set all set out, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Because we have, right, the three little wise men on the three little camels. And they've got kind of like a little pocket change, right? They've got their little, their little bags of whatever it is. It's whatever they had with them is what they gave to Jesus. But that wouldn't have descriptive. That wouldn't have been anything like the actual scene at all. That they just have, you know, three little guys on three little camels that ride into town. That wouldn't have disturbed the entire city. That wouldn't have put fear into Herod. First of all, if you study history, you'll find that Rome had fought this empire Already, this rival Parthian empire, Rome had fought them already over control of Judea and laid siege. So Jerusalem had already been the site of a battle and a siege. And then they had installed Herod as the king over Judea. And so they had done this against this rival superpower, but it wasn't heavily fortified because Rome had other problems in the empire at the time. And so Herod sees these guys show up from the rival superpower, not only show up from the empire that had controlled where he is now king of, not only show up, But they brought their treasure with them. 
And so these kings brought all their treasure because in those days you wouldn't leave your treasure behind. You couldn't protect it, so you would bring it with you. But not only that, the Parthians would travel with military escorts. And so Josephus wrote about this time, about treasure caravans that would travel from Parthia to Rome, that would travel across this, that were defended by almost 10,000 troops to defend them. And so the Magi, they show up with all of their treasure, all of these troops, all this detachment from a rival superpower at Herod's front door asking, where is the king born of the Jews? And so Herod freaks out. And the Bible says all of Jerusalem freaks out with him. Come on. They show up outside his gates with a rival army asking where the other king is. And so Herod freaks out. So he's scrambling now, right? In verse 4, he calls together all his people, all the chief priests and teachers of the law. He asks them, where is the Messiah that was supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. I think it's fascinating here. Watch this. Because then Herod goes back to the Magi. He finds out from these guys. And then watch when he goes back to the Magi secretly. And he finds out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me. So I too may go and worship him. Now, I think it's fascinating the posture that Herod takes in this story. Because if you read forward or if you know the story already, Herod had no intention of going to worship Jesus, right? He has no intention of going to worship the Christ child. Herod has no, no intention of that. He wants to eliminate any rival that would come against his throne. He's looking to kill the Christ child. And so he wants to find out where he is. But as I looked at Herod's role in the story, I saw so many ways that the same spirit attacks us today. So many ways that this same spirit appears in our lives. Now, our, our Herod is not some physical king on a throne today that was attacking the Christian church. It's not some physical king that sits there. But in so many ways, Herod represents one of the greatest threats to the church today, and that is religion. That is religion and legalistic ideology. That is one of the greatest attacks. Herod, in so many ways, because religion will pretend to assist you in your search, but its goal is to assassinate your Savior. It will pretend to assist you in your search that you have for life, but its end goal is the same as Herod's, to assassinate the Christ child, to kill your Savior. You see, religion will say, this is the path. This is what you need to do, and I'll help you to get closer to God if you just follow what I say. And if you just search the right way, and if you just report the right things, and if you just you do all the right things on the surface, then you'll be closer to the Lord. I'm just telling you, that path ends in death. It ends in death. And in the end goal, Herod's goal is to kill the Christ child. And once you know, religion's goal is the very same thing. Religion says, I'll help you to get closer to God. If you just read the right passages, or you give the right amount, or you just serve the right way, if you just work your way back to God, then I'll help you along that path. And I'm telling you, it ends in death. It ends in death. And that's what some of you may have experienced, because in your mind, you're with me so far. You're saying, yeah, I understand the longing inside, because I am looking for something bigger than myself. But I've tried church before, Ben, and it, it just left me feeling empty too. And I would submit to you that you probably tried religion and not relationship. That you probably tried the legalistic steps that say this is how you can work your way back to God and not relationship with the living Jesus. Because so often its goal, it it appears on the surface that it wants to help you, but its goal is to assassinate your Savior. See, religion says it's about the search, but I'm telling you, it's not the search, it's the Christ child. It's not the search that they were on, it's the end, it's Jesus. It's not about how hard you can work, it's about grace. And so often we get those things mixed up even at Christmas time. We celebrate the coming of our Savior. But too often we're still trying to pursue religion. We're trying to go after the things that don't matter. 
Because it's not about what we can do to fix it. It's about God stepping down to rescue us. It's about God coming for us. It's about a real relationship. But too often people on their journey don't realize it. And so we have a false substitute. We have a Herod that we're trying to put in its place. We're trying to do, and I'm telling you, there's no life in that at all. And on the outside, it looks like everything is okay. But on the inside, you're not really experiencing true life. And we see this all the time in our culture. All right, everybody? We see this, and I don't know if you actually recognize this, but we do this a lot uh, in our athletic and exercise culture. Come on, somebody. It's not the new year yet, but we're going to talk about exercise. But we see this happen, right? And I don't know if you see this in others. Never you, right? Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe somebody in your life is like this. But our at-leisure game is on point. All right, everybody? I don't know if you recognize this, but we got our Lululemon, our Nike gear decked out from top to bottom. Come on, how many know somebody like that, right? They just got, and you got the Nike shoes. We got everything decked out. Look like we just rolled up out the gym. You ain't been in the gym in years. Come on, somebody, you know. Looking all like we, we got it all down. We don't know any yoga poses, but we got our yoga pants. Come on. We got the messy bun in Target at 10 a.m. Looking like you just rolled up out the gym. Everybody know you just rolled out of bed. Come on. You know, you people know what I'm talking about. We, we, but we got we, we're decked out. We got everything like we want. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to pastor you well. All right, everybody. I'm just trying. But we look like that and we do that so often, the same thing we do in our Christ following. We know how much to give. We know how much to serve. We know how much to do on the outside. We know how to look the part. But on the inside, we don't have a relationship with Jesus. On the inside, it's just death. On the inside, we've never actually connected with the God of life. But we know how to make the outside look good. Jesus said, you know how to polish the outside of the dish. You know how to the cup, right? But on the inside, we're dead. On the inside... We're dead. And so in the end, we've come to this place and we realize that we're empty inside. Because there's always a longing inside of us. And if we're like this and we try to just do the outside, we try to just dress it up. I'm telling you, it's Herod. It's Herod. It leads to death. There's always a longing on the inside of us. There's always a Herod to fight you. The last thing I want you to know is there'll always be a star to guide you. Because I don't know where you find yourself on this Christmas, if it's the longing inside of you or if it's the Herod that's fighting you and you've replaced it, a false substitute for too long. But there will always be a star to guide you. Because all along the the journey, the star was the one constant for the wise men. The star was the one constant for the wise men. Because after they hear the king's voice in our text, watch this, they went on their way and the star that they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And so after they've come through this first test and they've, they've gone on their journey and they talk to Herod and all these things happen, the star goes before them and it stops over where the child was. And I love the fact that in the midst of their false worship, in the midst of them worshiping the stars, in the midst of them worshiping all that, God left a trail of breadcrumbs to lead them to the Savior. Because people try to clean up the story sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed this. They try to make them different than what they were. That these were like long lost priests, right? Out in the middle of nowhere. That these were, these were Jesus followers. Or these were God-centered priests. Or they were long lost cousins, right? Of the Jews. It wasn't that. No, these were pagan star worshiping, right? Idolaters. And yet God still drew them. These were about as far as you could get from the Christ child. And yet God still drew them. And I love that part of the story. See, there's nothing magical about stars, but God loves to speak our language. There's nothing magic in stars, but God created them just like he created the earth. But God loves to speak our language. And now I'm confident that no person, that not a single person today got in your car this morning 
and followed a star until it settled over victory, right, for the Christmas service. I am confident, but I am also confident that God is speaking to every single person here. It's not through a star that suddenly rested on top of the Victory Church building, but he is speaking to every single person here. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know how far you've gone and I don't know how much you've tried to substitute and I don't know what the outside looks like, but I know that there's a longing inside and I know that God is drawing you. I know that he's speaking to you because I am confident of the fact that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That God loves you more than you could imagine and that he's drawing you. Even on Christmas that he's drawing you. Even this week that he's drawing you. That no matter where you are, these these pagan star-worshipping idolaters are a lot worse off than a whole lot of us if God still drew them. And so I want you to know there's hope for you. That God still loves you. And I want you to know this Christmas that the star only stops in one place. That he's only drawing you to one place and that is over the Christ child. The star only draws you to a relationship with Jesus. Everything else that you substitute in its place, everything else that you try to put in that place of worship, that place of adoration, everything else comes up short. Everything else except for Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. Listen to me, everybody. He didn't come to be a baby. He came to be your savior. He came to rescue you and to rescue me and to step down into our planet and to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. Jesus came for us. And we celebrate on this Christmas that he was born as a baby, that he was our Savior, that he loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And what he wants for you this Christmas time is for you to experience true life. There's always a longing inside of us. There will always be a Herod to fight you, but there will always be something to guide you, that God is speaking to your heart. So this Christmas, I would just invite you not to listen to my preaching, not to sing the songs and all of that, and then to just go home unchanged, but to really experience a relationship with Jesus. Because he loves you. He wants to be your savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. We're going to have a moment now where we light our candles and we have this time as a church and just this beautiful moment. But before we get to that, I have to ask, Is there something in your life that you're worshiping other than Jesus? Is there something in your life that you're worshiping other than Christ that you put on that pedestal? Because there's a longing inside of us crying out to connect to something bigger than ourselves. And it's easy for us to pursue different passions. It's easy for us to go after all these things, maybe success to success or career to relationship or all these things and hope that they satisfy and they never do. And if you've ever been on that journey, you understand the emptiness that you feel when nothing can satisfy. Because nothing else can fill the role of God in your life. Nothing else can fill his place in your heart. And so we chase one empty thing after another. And all the success and all the money and all the finance, all the relationships in the world cannot satisfy. Because I'm telling you, the star only stops in one place. And so if that's you today, you say, I'm on that journey and I've gone a long way. Or you say, I feel like God is so far. At one time he was close, but now I just feel like he's a million miles away from me. 
Or maybe you say, I'm, I'm here this Christmas morning because somebody invited me or I wanted to come to a Christmas service or I wanted just to see what it was all about and I feel that emptiness and I've never been close to God. If either of those are you today, I just want you to know that he loves you. That he's not mad at you for wondering. He's not mad at you for how far you are. He just wants you to come home. That he loves you. And so if that's you today, I just want to pray with you. I know you're here with your friends and your family. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I just want to pray with you. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to do anything that religion would try to get you. I'm not asking you to do any of that kind of stuff, any of those steps. I just want to connect you with the Savior. Because it's not about church membership. It's not about any of those things. They're, They're good, but they're not the Savior. I want to connect you in a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you today, I just want to pray with you. I can give you the words to the prayer, but you've got to say them and you've got to mean them in your own heart. If you feel far from God and you say, I want to get close again. If you feel disconnected from the Savior, you say, I want to give my life to him again. I want to experience life again because I'm empty. I'm dry. I feel dead on the inside. If that's you today, let's fix it with one prayer. Let's fix it with one prayer of surrender. So come on, church. We're going to pray this prayer with them. If you want to pray that prayer, just say it loud with us and mean it in your heart. Just say these words, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. For all my mistakes, I surrender to you. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And God, I thank you for every person here, God. Every person who's on a spiritual journey. God, thank you for the reminder that you are the one and true source of life. Father, we look after you, God. We search after you. We believe that we can be in relationship with you. And we thank you, God, that even when we lose our way, even when we wander far, that you leave a trail back to you, that you are drawing us. Even in the midst of our sin, that you are drawing us, that Christ came to die for sinners. We thank you, God, for the plan you have for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are drawing us, that you gave your life, that you came on Christmas, that you came to be our Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. As we just maintain just an attitude of prayer, as we begin, we're going to light these candles this morning and just have this moment with us as a church. But I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, would you do me the quick favor Would you just text the word SAVED to the number 66599? And this is just a way that we have. I promise you it's not a marketing ploy to try to get your phone number. I promise we'll never text you again. It's just one text to give you some information about your next steps on your journey with Christ. A lot of information I want to give you. This is the quickest way I know how to do it. And while you're doing that, I just want to invite you, if you don't have a church home, 
you're visiting today and you don't have a good local church that you can plug into to help you on your journey, we would love for you to join us here at Victory. We have a lot of fun around here. I just want you to know that. Now, if you're looking for a perfect church, you just keep right on looking, all right, everybody? Because we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we just love Jesus with every part of us. So we would love to come alongside you, just assist you on your journey. We'd love to get that information to you. Because honestly, we believe that our journey, our passion is to move you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And so if there's any way that we can assist you in that, any way we can come alongside you and your family, we would love to have that opportunity. We'd love to have you to be a part of our church. Just want to give that personal invitation to you. We'd love to get to know you and your family. Well, guys, as we end up this Christmas morning service, go ahead and grab out your candles if you haven't already. Put them through the little paper there. It's one of my favorite parts of the service. It's one of my favorite parts of the entire year, and you'll see in just a moment why. But as they begin to darken the lights, and you guys can go ahead and cut them in the back. And as the darkness kind of settles in, I want this to be an incredible sight of what God wants to do in our lives this Christmas. Because there's no darkness too great that his light cannot break through. Amen, everybody? There's no darkness too great that the light of God cannot shine in the midst of us. And I know that 2020 had a lot of dark moments. I know that we experience as a church family and maybe in your family, but also as a culture and as a world, so many dark moments. But there is no darkness where God's light cannot shine, that his light cannot break through. There is no darkness that is so great that he cannot break through, that his light cannot bring light to it. And so as we light these candles, I want this to be just a beautiful representation of his light in our life. So I would ask you, if you're able to, please stand with us as we light them. And as we light this front row, go ahead and light the person behind you until the entire church is lit. And then we're going to sing. Come on, let's sing Silent Night as we light these candles.
Let's sing it one more time together. Just lift your candle if you would. Come on, silent night. thank you for Christmas. We thank you that Jesus came to rescue us all. So one more time, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We thank you. Church, I just want this to be just a beautiful reminder of what God wants to do in your life. That there is no darkness so great that his light cannot overcome. He wants to shine his light into every part of your life. He wants to save you. That we celebrate this Christmas, the birth of our Savior. It's been an honor to have these moments with you today, with you and your family. From all of our family here to all of yours, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, everybody. Be blessed as you go.